Well, good morning and Happy New Year, Mill City. Such great time to be together. I was so excited about this Sunday, first Sunday of the year. It's been a few weeks since we've been together, and so wonderful to see you. Uh, my name is Aaron Stern. I'm the lead pastor here for maybe anybody who's brand new with us. And I also want to take a moment and welcome anybody who is joining in on the live stream. We're so glad that you're here. Can we just welcome them as well? So before I jump into the talk for today, I just want to give a little update on Generosity Sunday. Uh, for any of you who have been around for a few months, uh, in December every year we do what we call Generosity Sunday, which is an opportunity for all of us to participate and give above and beyond what we would normally give in order for us together to do above and beyond what we would normally be able to do. And so uh, just asked everybody to ask God what he would have for them to give, for us to give. And uh, so the total of Generosity Sunday for 2022, $127,256.66. Oh, isn't that amazing? Thank you for your generosity. As a result of your generosity, uh, we were able to give a $35,000 check to Homeward Alliance because they have a particular fund that we found out about, um, and we filled it and overfilled it so that they are able to help anybody who maybe is on the verge of homelessness, meaning they're one medical expense or one blown car tire or something like that away from not being able to pay rent or pay utilities or something like that and end up on the street. So uh, this helps pay those bills so they stay in a home because it's easier to keep someone in a home than it is to get someone into a home. We also, uh, to care for those who are on the streets, uh, gave $15,000 to Fort Collins Rescue Mission and $15,000 to the House of Neighborly Services in Loveland uh, as a way to make sure that they're extending and uh, we're partnering with them in extending care to those who need food and job training, etc. Now, some of you might be like, I'm not a great math wizard, but that was 65,000 and the total was 127,000. So in upcoming weeks, I'll be giving you some updates on some other things that, that we were all able to do together. Um, and again, thank you, thank you, thank you for your generosity. So last year, 2022, in the beginning of the year, as I have done for the last several years, is... Uh, shared with you a word for the year. It kind of gives us some direction sometime around Sundays or around some of the things that we might engage in. And last year, the word was kingdom. And we're talking about the kingdom of God. Jesus announces and talks about the kingdom of God more than anything else in his teachings that we find in the Gospels. So as a result, we spent nine months walking through the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' kingdom manifesto. His uh, description of and descript of those who participate in the kingdom. This is what your life looks like, or as a kingdom participant, this is what we do. And it ends in Matthew chapter 7. It starts in Matthew chapter 5. The end of Matthew chapter 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, after giving teachings on being a peacemaker, loving your enemies, forgiving, etc. And he says, therefore... Anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a crash. There's one difference between these two builders, putting the teachings of Jesus into practice and not putting the teachings of Jesus into practice. It doesn't say, those who hear my teachings and like them, those who hear my teachings and memorize them, those who hear my teachings and give their opinion on them, those who hear my teachings and post a picture of them on Instagram. It's not what he says. It would be kind of like if I told one of my boys to go clean their messy room, and, I, and, and a couple hours later, that son of mine came back and said, hey, Dad, I just want you to know, I memorized what you said. <laughs> you said, go clean your room. <laughs> and, Dad, just... Just a little more. I also can say, go clean your room in Greek. (laughs) And I I, I decided that I'm going to get some friends together, and we're going to meet every week to talk about what it means to clean your room. And then all the things that we decide are good things and reasons to clean your room, we're going to post on Instagram so other people can enjoy the things that we have decided on. (laughs) You know what I'm probably not going to do? Oh, that's so awesome. You know what I'm going to do? So did you clean your room? (laughs) See, just like Jesus, I'm not asking for memorization and all these other things, though that's fine. I'm asking for obedience. And Jesus is asking us to hear and put into practice his teachings. So really what we're going to do this year is pick up where we left off. And so today I'm starting a series called Practice. James chapter 1, half-brother of Jesus, picks up this same idea by saying, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. An issue that burdens my heart on a regular basis is when the church fails to live out its message. Doing things in the name of Jesus, but not acting in the way of Jesus. But Jesus, here in this passage, calls those who don't practice what he teaches foolish. If we translate that word foolish, it means moron, stupid, unintelligent. But Jesus calls those who do practice what he teaches wise, smart, intelligent, thoughtful. This is not a passage, a parable about Christian versus non-Christian, good versus bad. It's about a wise 
and a foolish disciple of Jesus. See, Jesus is saying, listening to preaching, no matter how amazing and incredible it is, I don't know why you're laughing, is not enough. It's kind of like a math teacher who, who were to just lecture and just beautifully describe how math works and all of that. But she never has the students actually practice math. Chances are they're not going to be able to do it because listening to a brilliant math teacher isn't necessarily going to help them actually be able to do math themselves. So unfortunately, we can't think ourselves into transformation. And Jesus, the most brilliant teacher to ever live, is saying, just hearing what I have to say, no matter how amazing of a preacher I am, he says, it isn't enough. I mean, if I could become more patient, forgiving, meek, just because I wanted to be, because I read the scripture and I'm like, oh yeah, I want to be like that, I want to do that, then I wouldn't keep finding myself bumping into being defensive or impact in being impatient with my boys or short with my wife or slow to listen or judgmental towards those who hurt me. So in spite of our best efforts, we oftentimes fall into a frustrating cycle of failure and shame. That sounds a little like this, where we try and we fail and we experience shame. We resolve to try again, we try, we fail, and we experience shame. All right, I'm going to do this again. So we recommit, we try, we fail, we experience shame. Can't quite build up the resolve, so we determine not, that we're not going to bother anymore, and we settle. But the failure-shame cycle isn't the way of Jesus. Jesus has another way. It's a way of learning, training, and process. You don't get bothered and fall into shame when you mess up when you're practicing the piano. Or if you're practicing at soccer practice. Why? Because it's a learning environment. It's a growing environment. It's kind of like this tree right here. It's a really beautiful tree. And so chances are that unless you're a horticulturist, you don't know what this tree is. But this tree is a fruit tree. And you would not know that because there's no fruit on it. The only way that you're going to know that this tree is a fruit tree is because of this. And on it, it says it's a plum tree. So this beauty is a plum tree. And I think some of us look like this. We're a tree, no fruit really coming out of our lives, but we've got a tag on us that says follower of Jesus, which means the fruit of our lives is going to be Christ-likeness, the fruits of the Spirit, joy and love and gentleness and kindness. And some of us might be kind of scraggly like this, and others might be a little more, a little bigger, but this tree can continue, will continue to grow and produce fruit and more fruit as we continue to tend to the tree. But this tree needs some things in order to grow and produce fruit. 
So you take this tree, plant it in the ground, it needs nutrients. It's in some nice soil here in this little pot, and, and so it needs nutrients from the soil in order to grow. But if we just put it into the soil and it's got good nutrients, but that's all we ever do, it's not going to make, it's not going to produce fruit. If we just give it dirt, if we just give it ourselves preaching, teaching, we're going to miss some things. This tree needs water, it needs sunlight, and it needs carbon dioxide. Without those four things, it will die. Like, you can just give it soil, you can just give it water, sunlight, but if it doesn't get carbon dioxide, it's going to die. As followers of Jesus, we are similar. Sometimes we focus on the fruit. Okay, great, I read that. Fruit. Gentleness. What we need to do as followers of Jesus is pay attention to the conditions we find ourselves in and we will automatically produce fruit. If this tree gets soil, nutrients, sunlight, water, and carbon dioxide, it will produce fruit. And the same thing is true for us. So teaching is one of the conditions. We need teaching in our lives. We need the teachings of Jesus. But there's other conditions for growth. We've got a little graphic that will come up here on the screen. We also need practices. We need community. And we need service. We need it to be outward focused in terms of loving and serving other people. If we put ourselves in these conditions, we will grow. Oftentimes at the beginning of a year, we ask ourselves uh, maybe a New Year's resolution. What's my goal for this year? What do I want to do? And we might come up with things like, well, I, I want to lose weight or I want to work out more. I want to save some more money. I want to read more books or I want to get better grades. Fine and dandy goals. But as a follower of Jesus, the question we need to be asking is, who am I becoming? Not just what am I doing? So that means that we need to be asking questions at like an end of a year, oftentimes good to reflect. Have I become more loving this year? Have I become more joyful this year? Am I more gentle? Am I more meek? How am I doing being a peacemaker? These are about who we are and producing the fruits of Christ-likeness. Now, the thing with this tree is I can't just say, all right, put it in the ground. I'm going to give you, figure out how many gallons of water it needs throughout the year and give it all of, the, I'm going to give it 100 gallons of water in one day so I don't have to mess with watering this tree till next year. That's not going to work. It needs little bits of water on a regular basis, right? It needs repetitive, ongoing, over time, nutrients, water, sunlight, carbon dioxide. In his book, Atomic Habits, James Clear says to focus on small habits for the long haul, instead of seeking massive change in the present. Sometimes we think, great, I'm going to go to this this church service, or I'm going to go to this, this conference, and it's like, you're like, oh, that was awesome. Wow, that was, what an experience. That will not hold you for the year. Instead, should be tiny habits, small, 
small change, slow progress. Which means that over the course of a year, the almost imperceptible is stronger than the heroically unsustainable. So the question is, as a follower of Jesus, what practices do we do? What are the consistent, repetitively, over time practices that we need to incorporate into our life? Well, as followers of Jesus, we look to the life of Jesus. And the ter- now, we might say, well, the term spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines, I prefer the term spiritual practices, but for some of you, maybe you're familiar with the term spiritual disciplines. That we're, that's what we're talking about. That term does not appear in the Bible. There's nowhere that it says, practice spiritual disciplines. But Jesus does them and says, follow me. So if we look at the life of Jesus, we see that he practices prayer, Sabbath keeping, living in community, going to church, fasting, scripture intake, feeding the hungry, eating with those far from God. And some of you need to hear this, taking naps. That's a spiritual practice. Now, some of you, some of you might hear the, the word discipline and think, and your, your, your hands get a little sweaty, and you're like a little nervous, because, and we avoid spiritual disciplines for a couple of reasons. We avoid disciplines because of a desire for instant gratification. The idea of discipline doesn't play well in our largely undisciplined, comfort-seeking culture. We want our, to meet our present needs and strongest desires. So that might be one reason. We've been, we've been trained to give in to our strongest desires in the moment. The other reason that we might avoid discipline is because of a fear of legalism. For some of you in this room, you grew up in a a church setting or a family setting that was fundamental, uh, where maybe even spiritual disciplines specifically became the end, not a means to an end. And so practices were rigid and a lifeless duty, and maybe even seen as a tool to win God's favor or others' approval. But practices are more like scaffolding. If you see a, a, a big building going up, there's scaffolding around it. The scaffolding is not the building. It facilitates the building. Practices are the scaffolding of our lives within which the reconstruction of our life toward wholeness takes place. Practices are a means to an end, and the end is a life Live to the full with Jesus. Ronald, Robert Mulholland Jr. in his book, Invitation to a Journey, says, somewhere between the extremes of avoidance of discipline and the imprisonment of discipline is the holistic practice of balanced spiritual disciplines that become a means of God's grace to shape us in the image of Christ for others. Now, For some of you, you might seem like, well, this is a lot of me discipline. And the scripture does say that. It actually emphasizes that. 
In Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, we might look at that and think, like, that sounds like a self-help project. You know, like, I, I got I to work it out. Like, okay, great, I put my faith in Jesus, and now go work it out. Go, come on, grit your teeth and bear it and transform. Work on transformation, step into practices, read your Bible more, things like that. Maybe even sounds like workspace salvation to you. Dallas Willard, in his book, The Great Omission, uh, philosopher as well as author, said, Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning which means that this is about us putting in effort. This is not about earning approval or earning salvation. This is about working out our salvation or working salvation into our lives. And thankfully, that passage, Philippians 2 verse 12, ends with a comma. My favorite piece of punctuation which means that Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purposes. That is great news. Because if it did end with a period, then it would be like, okay, this is all on me. I just got to make sure that I try hard and choose right. But it is instead a partnership with the Holy Spirit. He is the one who actually does the transforming work of our lives. But each one of us stepping into a practice is like creating space in order for him to work. So we partner. We put in effort. He puts in his spirit and something beautiful comes about. So really, we showed that, that graphic of conditions for growth. I really think that it should look like this. Teaching community practice service, service with the Holy Spirit overlapping each of those four, meaning that, that each of those things inhabited by the Holy Spirit change them. So that community isn't just like getting together to go bowling. So it's just a bowling league. But instead, as followers of Jesus, we get together and there is something spirit-infused and extra life in those relationships in such a way that they actually have a transforming effect on us. See, practices are not disciplines to master, but habits for the spirit to inhabit. Now, some of you might be asking the question, why don't I just hear the teachings of Jesus and do it? I mean seems like I just need to do what he says. Well, here's the reason we need practices or disciplines. This is Dallas Willard. Again, he says, disciplines work by indirection. You stop trying to do the things that Jesus said, and you do the things that will enable you to do the things that Jesus said. Anybody a worrier in the room? Okay, if you you raise your hand, you don't need to answer, actually, but thank you for being honest. (laughs) Jesus says, don't worry in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm guessing that many of you have heard that before. So why are you worrying? My point is, is that you might want to stop worrying, but you can't. Like, okay, great. Oh, oh, he said, don't worry. Oh, well, I've been worrying. I should stop. (laughs) Wouldn't that be awesome? 
And so instead, we practice Sabbath so that we might take a day and stop so that we see the world continue without us and we're able to step into and rest in the reality that God works without us, that we don't run the world, He does. Which as, and we do that consistently, repetitively over time. See, formation doesn't happen without repetition. And so, so by doing that on a weekly basis, it impacts our ability to not worry throughout the week. Anyone struggle with lust? You don't have to raise your hand. I've met with people, many, many people over the years as a pastor who are desperately wanting to stop engaging with pornography or any other type of expression of lust. And Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, don't lust, don't have lust in your heart. And they desperately want to obey that teaching. But as much as they want to, they're in a failure-shame cycle. And so one of the practices that might be helpful for them is fasting. Because when we fast, we go without food. And I don't know about you, but when I fast food and my body says, what are you doing? (laughs) You need to put food in this body or you are going to die. And I look at my fingers and I see chicken fingers. And and I think my body is starting to eat itself and I'm, I'm going to die. And what do we say to those cravings? to those desires, we say no. Because we say, Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the one who sustains me. He is living water. And so, if we can say no to the God-given desire for food, then maybe it will strengthen our muscle to be able to say no to a computer screen. Anyone have unforgiveness in your heart? Chances are there'd be a lot of hands that would go up for that question. But Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemies. So why do we have a hard time forgiving? So if we could, we would, but sometimes we can't. So we practice prayer. Because once we get into a place of prayer, we start to hear and understand and align our heart with God's. His heart is towards people, even his enemies, and we might start praying for them so our heart is softened toward them, which would enable us to forgive and love our enemies. That's why we do 21 days of prayer and fasting, so that we can step into a practice where our hearts are set and we start establishing some things in our lives so that we might produce fruit and have indirect impact in other areas of our lives. We do things we can do to affect things we can't do, so then we do them. That's indirection. Now, Jesus was a rabbi. A rabbi is a, was a Hebrew word for, or a Hebrew understanding of teacher, which meant as a rabbi, every rabbi had a yoke. Now, a yoke is a rabbi's way of reading the Torah and a set of teachings on how to be human, how to act out this life, not just ideas to memorize or a perspective to engage, but a way to live and act. Now, every rabbi had disciples. Jesus wasn't the first 
rabbi to have disciples. There's plenty of other rabbis that had disciples or apprentices. I really like that term. And they spent every day with him and they sought to mimic his every move and take on his practices and his habits so they would be like him. See, the way of Jesus is not just a set of ideas, what we call theology, or a list of do's and don'ts, what we call ethics. It is theology and ethics, but it is so much more than that. It's a lifestyle. It's how you organize every aspect of your life, your budget, your schedule, your relationships, your relationship with technology, your desires, your work life, every aspect of your life organized around the life and lifestyle of Jesus. John Mark Comer, author of The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, a good friend of mine, says, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus gives this invitation. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, there's that word again, is easy and my burden is light. Now, if you read that, it's, it's kind of a strange invitation from a man whose life was not a cakewalk. His yoke, what he did, I love how Dale Bruner, he's a theologian, put it. He says, a yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need least. They need a mattress or a vacation, not a yoke. But Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear responsibilities that we can't get away from. Thus, instead of offering escape, Jesus offers equipment. Jesus means that obedience to his Sermon on the Mount, his yoke, will develop in us a balance and a way of carrying life that will give more rest than the way we have been living. I want you to listen to the same passage that's found in the message version of the Bible. Eugene Peterson says it like this, are you tired? worn out, burned out on religion. When he says religion, he's talking about the the duty and, and something that has no life in it. Come to me. Get away with me. And you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I love that passage because there's no control or coercion. There's only example and invitation. His invitation is to all of us. Our word for 2023 is practice. And so throughout this year, we will be engaging and taking a deep dive into several practices. And then interspersed between those teachings 
will be teachings on how Jesus, what Jesus, uh, how Jesus interacts, and some other teachings of Jesus on the way of Jesus. So, normally towards the end of a message, I'll give a weekly practice, and we will have those here uh, coming up. But today, I want to give a monthly practice that starts this week. Meaning, I want you to do this every month throughout the year. I want you to read the Sermon on the Mount at least once a month. If you want to read it multiple times in a month, that's great. If you want to read it just once a month, that's fine. You don't have to read it in one sitting. You can read it in over the course of a week or a couple or however you want to do it. Matthew's, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. So that we continue to get the teachings of Jesus. It is one of the conditions that we need in our life. And specifically, this kingdom manifesto, we want it to saturate our hearts and our souls. Now, as I was putting this message together, I had a strong sense that there are some of you in this room and maybe some of you online, that if you engage with where we're going this year, that you will have the most transformative year you've ever had in your life that you will have like a, an acceleration in your growth with God, that you will find yourself in, in, in a place where you're like, whoa, whoa, look at that fruit that just popped out. You weren't focusing on the fruit. You were just focusing on consistent, repetitive being in the right conditions. And so I want to end here today by asking the same questions that Jesus did. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burnt out? Are you weary of making what feels like maybe no progress? Are you exhausted by the failure shame cycle? Are you maybe tempted to quit? Jesus says, come to me. Learn from me. What he's saying is, follow me. So the invitation here today to everyone in the room is to follow Jesus in his way that leads to life. Maybe you're here today and it's your first time in church. Or maybe you're here today and it's your first time in church in a long time because you walked away, have been kind of following your own way. And there's a nudge in your heart and a desire for what I've talked about here and what Jesus offers to say, yeah, that's what I want. And so maybe this is your moment to cross the line of faith and to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. I'm exhausted. I'm so tired. I need rest for my soul. Would you just sincerely, even under your breath, say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Maybe for the first time or maybe as a recommitment. And for all of us in here, my prayer is that there would be a flame that is reignited, that grows larger, that steps into the reality so that we might be wise disciples, hearing 
and putting teachings into practice. And so, Father, I pray, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would help us to step into what you've called us to for this year. Each and every one of us, collectively, to be people who hear your teachings and put them into practice. So when the storms of life come, which they will, that we find ourselves built on a rock. And for anybody maybe in this room that somehow is struggling with even the, the desire, like, yeah, I want that, but I, I just can't seem to muster up enough strength. Holy Spirit, would you breathe? Would you breathe on hearts and minds? Would you give some some empowerment, some strength, some desire to take the next step. Sometimes we might think of the next year, just the next step. Holy Spirit, we need you. We don't transform ourselves. You are the transformer, but we work in partnership with you. So we trust you. We love you. We honor you. In Jesus' powerful name and everybody